Thrill Me. This show is part of the Thrill Me Podcast Network. Experience more on Facebook and YouTube. It's time for the Mr. Wonderful Show. Here's your host, Mr. Wonderful. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Mr. Wonderful Show. Very excited to be here because this is a special episode. Actually going to be bringing you uh, weekly now uh, a lot of what happened at AwesomeCon. So we're going to be recapping day one of AwesomeCon. Actually have the main stage uh, presentations, the main stage panels We'll be playing for you on this episode, so you'll get to hear Charisma Carpenter and Amber Benson uh, as they talk 25 years of Buffy. Uh, Say hey to Haley Atwell, so Peggy Carter, Agent Carter. uh, We'll have that panel here on the show because, yeah, this past weekend in Washington, D.C. at the Walter E. Convention Center uh, was AwesomeCon, the ninth year of AwesomeCon. This would have been the 10th anniversary, but, of course, the COVID year caused them to postpone. Uh, and if you're like, wait a minute, didn't AwesomeCon just happen? Yeah, it did happen not too long ago. Uh, you might remember early on in the debut of the Mr. Wonderful show, we had a full coverage for you of AwesomeCon 2021. But uh, AwesomeCon 2022 came up. Uh, it happened this past weekend, June 3rd to the 5th in D.C. Uh, and this is uh, just a fun event if you have not been to AwesomeCon yet. Uh, I definitely recommend getting out to it. There was uh, just nothing but a good time going down this past weekend. And this has my, been my third year covering it. Uh, would have been my fourth because uh, I had gotten the COVID year. I had gotten the green light to go and cover it. Uh, but then again, with those postponements, it meant I had to reapply for the next one around. So this is my third year. Would have been my fourth, but uh, I'm already excited for next year. Uh, hoping to get to cover it again for all of you. But yeah, Awesome Con Day 1 uh, happened Friday in D.C., a little recap of it all. Uh, pretty much showed up to D.C., got in there, uh, got to check out the exhibit hall. Uh, th- I like to do that. I like to go down and check out the uh, exhibit hall right away, see all the vendors that are out there, the artist gallery, uh, all the comic uh, artists that are there, and, and just really see... Uh, the layout of, of of the downstairs portion of it, the area where they do the meet and greets, the celebrity signings, uh, all of that. They, they have a lot set up down there. They've got the Awesome Con Junior for the kids is down there. Uh, Pride Alley is down there as well. The remix stage was downstairs. I found myself going to the remix stage a few times in the exhibition hall uh, because they had some fun trivia. They had some dance parties going on, a lot of cosplay down there. So got there. Uh, as the day began at one o'clock, I checked into my, I got to check into my hotel room pretty early, which was cool. I stayed at a place called Motto, which was, uh, it's a Hilton hotel. It's right there in Chinatown in Washington, D.C. If you've, n- if you've been to Washington, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, if you've never been to Washington, to put it to you this way, the Washington Capitals and the Washington Wizards basketball team, so the NHL and NHL, uh, NBA, the arena was no more than a block away from me. That's where I was staying because the convention center is only like five blocks away from that. So it's a quick walk back and forth from the hotel. The first year I did Awesome Con, I made the mistake of staying further away, thinking, hey, it would actually be a wiser idea to not stay in the heart of the area and to take the metro back a little bit. But I found after that first year, I learned 
not a good idea because it meant that when the day was over, I wasn't getting back to my room until about 45 minutes after I had left where this was a five minute walk down the street past a lot of cool restaurants and bars and things like that. Uh, So I learned my first year, stay as close to the convention center as you can. So I booked through the awesome con booking uh, stayed at the motto and it just like again a fun little Hilton hotel there's a whiskey bar upstairs uh there there was a restaurant downstairs like there was a lot going on in this hotel that I did not expect when I booked it like it had those things but I was like okay what's this really gonna be but it was a fun hotel uh but yeah day one got to the awesome con checked in checked out the exhibit hall walked around Mark down, you know, all right, I'll check this guy out again. I'll check out this guy again. I'll check out this 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 person's place again. Uh, but really, day one, I spent it at the main stage. And I spent a lot of this year at the main stage because of the way that the programming was. And a lot of the things that I wanted to do uh, overlapped with a lot of the other things this year because that is how these cons work, you know. It, sometimes the cookie crumbles in a way of, oh, man, I want to be there for the 25 years of Buffy Charisma Carpenter and Amber Benson spotlight as well as Haley Atwell, which followed them. But in that time frame, there were things that I wanted to do, other uh, mini panels, other events, uh, you know, because they team up. Awesome Con's really fun because they actually team up with NASA. So there's some cool scientist stuff that goes on, and I wanted to go check out some of that. But again, sometimes the way these cons work out, you have to pick and choose. Uh, And I picked the main stage, which uh, leads us into today's episode, the main stage, where I stuck around for two of the big main stage uh, speakers. Uh, Again, I mentioned the Buffy reunion and the Haley Atwell one. So without any further ado, let's bring you in right now uh, to 25 years of Buffy. Here's Charisma Carpenter and Amber Benson Spotlight, their panel from AwesomeCon. 25 years um, of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Give it up. And do come on up to the mic. We do want to get to your questions. I like to get to them as quickly as possible. Can we do something first? Yes. This. I like to know your name. Your name. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you for being here. Thank you so much. And the team, the team supporting everyone, and we're very, very grateful for them making this event very accessible. Hi, how are you? Hi. Do you have a question? What's your name? Uh, my name is Lindsay. Hi, Lindsay. Go ahead. I have a question for Chris specifically. I was wondering, since you left before season six, what kind of song would you have wanted to sing in the music? <laughs> I don't sing. <laughs> And it's really one of the things that I really wish I could do, even a little bit. It's just, let me give you an anecdote. I was working on some TV movie in Canada, and I was driving back to the hotel with the driver. And we had been driving together for about a week at this point, so there was some familiarity. And at one point, I'm singing along to this song, you know, in my joy. <laughs> and he says, he turns the music off and he turns to me flat face, like just straight. 
Do you have pain when you sing? I said, as a matter of fact, I do not. But you're about to. <laughs> no, but that just goes to show how you were all spared. <laughs> I was when I sang that song in the um, the first season of at the puppet show um, episode. You know. That was me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. When you when you're by yourself in the car, do you have or the shower? Something. When you do sing and you're confident that no one's there to give you a hard time, do you have a go-to song? Now I'm curious. Lately, um, there's this well, there's this song called Brave um, by Sarah Morales, and I'm singing that a lot lately. See, I love it. You embrace it. You're not... Embrace the song. What about you? I have a choice. Yeah. It embraced me. Right. <laughs> Do you have a go-to song? I, 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 I've been accused of just constantly singing at home and not realizing I'm Humming. doing it. Yeah. I'm a Hummer singer. <laughs> that didn't come out right, did it? Where, like, if I hear a song, I'll, there'll be like a note that sounds like another song, but I'm singing that song, and it's just like a medley chain of weird connected <laughs> things that make no sense. Um, I, we were in Starbucks and Bootylicious, and I'm like, I'm now I'm Bootylicious. <laughs> so, whatever song happens to be playing, that is my song of choice. I will sing it for hours, only the chorus, and not sing the words right. That makes karaoke very easy. You're like, just easy going. I'll yeah. just sing it all. Sing it all. And mash it all together. We have a question over here. Hi. Hi. So I'm such a big stand of both of you. I love Buffy. How do you guys still look so incredible and fabulous still? You'll get your 20 bucks later. Thank you. So I thought it was a travesty that Cordy and Tara never got a chance to meet on screen. How do you think they would have interacted had they met? We would have been lovers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I have no idea. But I'll start with that just because it's sassy to say. <laughs> I, I think we would have gotten on. I, I, think, I think Cordelia was a complicated uh, character, a complicated lady, and, and Tara likes complicated ladies. <laughs> She's hot as get all get out. Look at this. I mean, so like, oh my gosh, when we were doing the Entertainment Weekly spread, my my um, my partner and I were were watching you do your solo shots, and both of us are like, how is it possible that she gets hotter? Like it's like, even, like every time more. It's not. I don't understand. You've made a deal with the devil. <laughs> It's true, though. What was your name before you stepped away? What was your name? Oh, my name is Paul. Paul, Hi, that's, Paul. that's an awesome question. It, but it does kind of dovetail into something that I'm, I'm sure um, folks will want to talk more about, but that is some of the groundbreaking work that was done in terms of lesbian relationships and representation at a time when you just didn't see it. Um, when you look back on that now, did you know in the in the moment how profound it was, or was it just kind of like, oh, it's the thing we're just going to take me back to, to that? Um, well, we, I, I didn't know. I, whoa, very echoey. Hello, hello. Um, I, Allison and I did not know that that was where the relationship was going at first. I was just supposed to do a couple of episodes. I was just going to be like the new friend in the, the like witches club um, in the magic group. 
and uh, it just sort of snowballed from there. But I think that the intent had always been underneath to, to have them be together. They just wanted to sort of see how the chemistry was. Um, so, you know, we didn't go into it knowing that that's where we were headed, but once it became very clear that that's where we were going and Joss took us aside and we had a conversation about it, I mean, I know we both felt like we were doing something that usually as an actor, you're like just regurgitating kind of bad dialogue. You know, that's just what you do for a living. And you're like, okay, how to make this better? With Buffy, it felt like we were doing something that was really important. It sort of transcended just like being actors on a television show. And I think we both understood that implicitly. Like once we were playing the characters in a relationship, um, I just did a panel for Outfest in Los Angeles, a virtual panel with, with um, with Wilson Cruz, and uh, we were talking about, um, you know, how how there wasn't there wasn't the representation in things like my so-called life, and yeah, friends, exactly. And then Buffy was like a continuation of that, and uh, I think everybody who's been involved with with kind of knocking the glass ceiling and saying we're you know we need representation, we need diversity in film and television. Um, I think we're all really honored and lucky that we got to be a part of that process. Um, so that's a fantastic answer. Thank you. Thank you. Let's go over for a question to you. Hi. What's your name? Hi. Um, um, hi. <laughs> it's um, a lot, right? I like it. It is. I feel like God. Infinite. <laughs> my, name's, my name's Mike, uh, and I just wanted to ask, uh, I know with Buffy and Angel, um, both of you guys, your characters uh, had uh, an ending, um, and I just wanted to know, like, did you guys agree and were happy with the ending of each of your characters, or did, would you? I think my response to that is well documented. <laughs> I'll, I'll feel that one, because um, my cause my answer is very, very. I've talked about it also, but. Um, they, like, they, they took me aside at the end of season five, and they're like, so we've got this amazing news. It's so incredible. It's so great. We're going to kill your character. <laughs> oh, that's, that's awesome. I love that. That's great. It's like, it's from the story point of view. It's so wonderful. Um, and I, I truly think from the story point of view, it makes 100% sense. I totally get it. It was kind of a bummer as you know somebody who's part of a family of, of other creative people and a crew that you love. That you know, and a job that that's paying your bills. You know, it's sort of sort of a bummer to lose that. But uh, yeah, I, I understood why. Uh, I, I, yeah, and it kept getting pushed. It was supposed to be like at the beginning of season six, and they just kept shoving it down further into the the season because I think nobody really wanted to do it. You know, what you just said made me think of something. It's really interesting when a character's demise serves the show. But what do you do when the character's demise does not serve the show? Yeah. Um, so there's that. Well, and then there's the whole trope of kill your gaze, which which we were a part of um, with Buffy, and I think that you know it's continued, and and I think a lot of times. You know, uh, creators feel like, oh, we're doing something, you know, very emotional and powerful, but I think they don't take into consideration the fact that um, it is, it is, <laughs> it needs to be thought through. There has to be a real reason for you to do it, and if you can't give me a really amazing, unique reason, then you shouldn't do it. You know? It also doesn't serve a greater yeah, good or a social exactly. cause. Exactly. If you're going exactly. to. 
don't think they should do it in general. I, I like to keep the characters around because we love them. So let's destroy that trope. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Hi, question to you. Hello. Um, hey. Hi. <laughs> uh, my name is Teresa. Hi, Teresa. Uh, my question kind of already got asked a little bit. Um, I, I was going to ask how, uh, how it felt to be a part of such, for Hannah specifically, um, how it felt to be a part of such a big uh, turning point, I feel like, in especially sci-fi and fantasy world and everything like that, um, with, with having a out, out there, out and proud lesbian relationship on the, on the television screen, like uh, how that impact really felt to like you and the rest of the cast at the time. Well, I'll tell you straight up, we got censored. Oh, wow. <laughs> we weren't allowed to, like, kiss and do stuff. I mean, like, Buffy and Spike are bonking on the, the, the sarcophagus. Uh -huh. We're not allowed to do anything, basically. And um, I think I was really, uh, I was frustrated by that, and I think Allison was too. And then um, one, of, one of the guys from the art department took us aside, and he, he was gay, and he's like, look, I know that it's frustrating. You feel like they're they're censoring the like the physical side. He's like, but the most important thing, and, and it's and it's happening in every episode is, you guys are a couple. You treat each other well, and you are in people's houses every week. And and he's like, you are changing the dialogue around what it means to be LT, you know, LGBTQ plus in the world. He's like, when when you are in someone's house, it ceases to be those people and becomes, oh, Tara and Willow, they're lesbians, oh, we like them, <laughs> you know? I was, I was at the National Portrait Gallery uh, writing this morning, and there were, there were two older white men, both of them I think were, were gay men, and they were talking about how when you know somebody who is LGBTQ+, you can't hate them because you know them. And I think so much was happening, like that there was such a revolution, there was so much change happening, and people didn't, you know, they didn't know people who were different than them. And so these characters came into their homes and they identified with them and they loved them and it changed how they perceived people who were not, you know, just cisgender people. Um, I was just gonna add that I remembered watching a, some sort of, not a document, not a documentary, but I saw Dave, um, Dan Levi talk about Schitt's Creek and how important the gay relationship between them was. It was not meant to be something on the nose or meant or intended to tell any kind of specific story or be heavy-handed in any particular way, but it was important to him to demonstrate love between two people that were of the same sex and to show and be for the audience to be witness to loving parents and accepting parents. And that was the only thing he was, you know, interested in doing. He didn't want to, to be some sort of show that was about causes or to be heavy handed with it. He just wanted to demonstrate what a loving relationship between two people can look like of the same sex and to show a family dynamic that is also supportive because whenever I've done research with the Gina Davis Institute, it, it's so important to um, read those statistics about representation and how vital it is to demonstrate positive 
tropes. I, tropes, let's stay away from tropes, but like if I were to, you know, say it in the Positive examples. conversation, that um, it's important to have that representation um, and as diverse as possible. You know, when you watch a commercial and you see a black Rapunzel, you know, talking about whatever the Disney character is, it's important for that little eight-year-old girl to be able to look at the television and see herself. Because if you can see it, you can be it. Not that anybody wants to be Rapunzel, but that, but that you can identify and see yourself on the screen and that it affirms your existence and you're, you're valid and you're important and you matter. Yeah, and um, uh, I'm actually bi, uh, so like seeing that representation as uh, a kid and everything, even, even though there wasn't like a lot of it at the time, um, was very uh, impactful for me, and I just want to say thank you. <laughs> oh, no, thank you. Thank you for, for watching and for being a part of the Buffy family, because it is a family. All of us here were moved and, and, and touched by that show. It impacted me, it impacted you. Like, we all had this experience together, and that's kind of amazing, right? Like it's crazy, and we're still here talking about it with joy, right? Thank you, panel. Well, this, and I remember I was saying backstage, I'm like, this is, we will get into it, and I love that. that. No. But I just hope you guys are okay with it. It's, Where are the jokes? Where's the funny? I want anecdotes. But to your point, though, I, but one of the things, you mentioned Schitt's Creek, which was just fantastic, because never was the relationship trotted out as such. It was just a, a part of the story. There's a moment in Game of Thrones when all women are ruling all the houses, and it's never, it's, you never beat over the head with it. It's just a fact where you go, wait a minute, they're, they're all in charge. We are all in charge. Um, and so I appreciate what you're saying from, from that aspect of it. Let's go over here to you for a question. Hi. Um, so I have a question, but I also want to comment. So, Amber, you said something about the, the trend of killing gays, and you mentioned you're on a panel recently with Wilson Cruz. You made me think of uh, his character on Discovery. When, when they killed his character, I understand what they were trying to do, but there was never really anything that made sense for the reasoning yeah. for why at all. And I was really glad they brought it back because it just, it yeah. did not make sense to me at all in that. Yeah. Um, sure. Yeah. <laughs> He's lovely, by the way. I can imagine. I'm a fan of his from Rents and Discovery and lots of things. So, um, my question actually gets a little bit to the light, so that'll make Chris happy. Uh, I actually... I'm not unhappy. <laughs> but I was really happy to see that Amber could be here as well. And I also was thinking of the fact that uh, you guys, your characters never actually met on the show because you left after graduation, left after graduation, and you still started. So obviously you guys know a lot of people in common, so not much surprise you guys met, but do you guys have a story or memory of when you were first introduced? I remember meeting you for the first time. It was at some like event, some Buffy-related event. Um, and it was like, like a big like club kind of atmosphere. It was like the kind of. And I just remember um, you came over and introduced yourself to me, and you were so nice. Um, you're like, we are not working together, but I just want to say hi. I know you're on Buffy now, and you were so sweet to me. Yeah, that was the first time. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> now, charisma is fabulous. I am so, I'm so lucky to have, but no, I'm so lucky to have like this relationship with you outside of like, because we didn't work together, we didn't really have a relationship, and we've become friends after the fact, and I'm very grateful. Like, it's funny, like, you and Emma are like the two people that I, I spent the most time with outside of now, which is weird, you know what I mean? Like, you wouldn't think, you know. Yeah. You just don't know who's going to be the person you're like, you, I want to hang out with you, you're cool. <laughs> when you find out that you're working a, a con, do you immediately text each other, or do you simply say, like, we're working this one together? Like, how does that, how does that work? I'll, I mean, I have that conversation with the, our personal appearance agent, and then I'll say to her, do you want to go on a guided tour? <laughs> yeah. When are, where are we having dinner? Yeah. Do you want to do it? Like, I end up being the... Um, She's, she's the tour guide. She's the, she, your Julie, I like right? to come. Yeah. I like to come to a city, divide and conquer. I like to come. I like to drop my bags and go out into the city and stroll and take walks and experience you folks. Yeah. We, we rode lime scooters together once. That was fun. That was fun. <laughs> Who's a more aggressive lime scooter driver? Oh, I, I'm like terrified. I'm like I'm like an old lady. I'm like, don't go over this bit. You gotta go. Go on the sidewalk. And you're just like, we're going. Okay. I'm pretty fearless. <laughs> she totally is. We should get you skydiving or something like that. I've done it. No. <laughs> no? That was a one and done. Tell me your skydiving story. And then we'll come over here. Tell me. So you went skydiving. I have been skydiving. Once. Yes. And now you're jammed. Tell, tell me about it. Well, see, here's the thing. <laughs> had I gone again right after that, I probably would have done it again. But now that I've had distance from it, what I ended up doing was going to the New York, New York, and Las Vegas, short, probably like three or four years after skydiving, and I was completely triggered by the roller coaster, um, the idea of the roller coaster. It started to set in, and I put the seatbelt in, it started to set in that that fear and, and the flop sweating and the shivering and like the whole physiological response system. It was like a, a total nervous breakdown. And um, I was like, I need out, I need out, I need out. I was like, tell them, like, I gotta get out, I can't do this. And they're like, sorry lady, you're in. And I was married at the time and my husband and I were on it together. He's like, it's okay, it's gonna be okay. I'm like, this is not okay. And um, yeah, so I don't skydive anymore. <laughs> you know, that's, you know what, that's, I understand. Or roller coasters. Or roller coasters. <laughs> to be fair, I will roller coaster because if I am afraid to do something, then I will do it just because I'm afraid of it. Yeah, you're counterphobic. You're like running toward the thing that scares the bejesus out of you. I mean, I'll, I'll head first into most things. Like, I will 100% commit and then have the remorse after the fact. <laughs> I, at least I tried it. I feel that. I, I went skydiving once. Yeah. Let's go ahead. Question over here. Hi. Um, my name is Victoria. Yeah, I know. I'm only 4'11". Anyway, it's fine. Um, <laughs> Hi, Victoria. Um, so my question is for both of you. Both of your characters were a part of some really, you know, interesting and impactful storylines throughout both Buffy and Angel. Which one was your guys' favorite to be a part of? <laughs> no, that's a good question. It's nice. It's nice when they're taking a minute to think about it because it means they haven't been asked it, you know, a ton of times. So it's a great question. Uh, as as painfully as it ended, I thought the addiction magic storyline was really interesting and thoughtful um, in, in so many ways. Um, 
Obviously, spoiler alert, didn't go well about addiction, the fact that something that a lot of us have struggled with in our lives, and it's it's really hard to, to, to come to claw your way back to, to you know sobriety and normalcy. Um, and I thought, you know, it was a really interesting way to talk about it without talking about it in, you know, on a soapbox being didactic about it. Um, so yeah. I think I mean I'm just pulling from that the ether at this moment. Um, I haven't given this a tremendous amount of thought, but the first thing that comes to mind is, in line with what she said, when Cordy first gets her visions, uh, the pain that it brings her, she hides. And she's hiding it from those that are closest to her. And she's unable to be her authentic self. And um, it kind of runs in, tan in tandem with what she was saying in that we are as sick as we're secrets. And when we repress certain sides of ourselves to people please or to somehow um, accommodate others, it's like setting yourself on fire to keep other people warm. It's not a good thing. It's always best to express what's going on with you and, and know who to trust that expression with, of course, which is not always easy. Um, but I think that that sort of storyline was, I think, a storyline that even today in my life uh, is relevant, you know, all these years later. I think that it's a universal thing, you know, it's never uh, a good thing for your spirit to repress sides of yourself that maybe you don't trust other people with, or maybe you're aware that you're not safe to express that side of yourself. And that might be a very valuable thing to pay attention to and reconsider your social group or your family, find family and people that aren't your family. Greatest gift I ever give, I ever give myself and continue to give myself is therapy. <laughs> Very big That's an excellent question. Thank you, Victoria. Hi, we have a question coming over here. Yeah, it might be an injection from my chair. I'm only about 410 and I'm standing up. <laughs> I don't do much better. Uh, my name is Burl. Thank you for being here. I'm a huge Buffy fan, but I'm getting older, so my mind is not as sharp when it comes to episodes. But I was represented when I think it was uh, Spike was injured, and like I think um, Angel said to him, shut up, spin, <laughs> during one of the episodes. My question is, I, I was inspired by Josh Whedon's work in Buffy the Vampire Slayer because it was an intelligent vampire show, and I'm a um, writer of vampire stories now. And I was just wondering, maybe you've been asked this, maybe it doesn't be the fancy and uh, thoroughly enough, what drew you to the roles that you got on Buffy and Angel, in your case, Charisma? And um, did you see the original film with Christy Swanson and Donald Sutherland? Thank you. Sorry, can you ask that again, but hold the mic back a bit? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, pull it this way? It's the echo. Okay. It's hard to... Okay. What drew, what basically, what drew you to the role? 
of, of, of Cordelia and um, what, what did you see the original movie? Did you see the original movie with uh, Christy Swanson and Donald Sarah? I did. In the theater when I was a kid. What drew me to Cordelia? Well, work. Um, <laughs> you know, I was in my 20s. I was just starting out on the show. I mean, uh, starting out in the business. Were you going to say something? No, I was just saying, um, if you bring your mic up, just... Oh, so I need to bring it up. I <laughs> we, we do know, we've discussed it in the back. We know it's boomy, and we're sorry, because it does make it hard for us to hear up here. They're trying to fix it. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> okay, so I think... When, at the time I was in my early 20s, mid-20s, uh, I had been on one or two shows before that, and of course you always want a series, or have the privilege to be on a long-running television series, especially one that ends up being critically acclaimed. So that's really what I want to impart to you is, when you're just starting out, it's really not... <laughs> in your best interest to be super selective about what you're on, right? So you have to consider at the time, Buffy the Vampire Slayer was the name of the show on a network that had one other show called Seventh Heaven on it with a mascot that was a frog, a dancing frog with a hat and cane. So you have to realize, like, beggars can't be choosers, and we're just shooting in the dark at this point, right? So there was no real great forethought in this you know, job, or you know what I mean? It's just, it's just work. You want to work. Um, and it just turned out really, really well. And I'm very grateful to this day. I will never not be proud of the work that I did on that show or that the work the crew members did, my fellow actors did, and the writers gave. There, I will never, ever, I will ho always want to be Cordy. I'm going to get emotional. I will always be Cordy to anybody. I will always answer to Cordy. <laughs> it's fine. So, yeah, thank you for, you know, showing up all this time later. I love that. No, it's good. I mean, it's I question over here. Oh, um, uh, oh I was just going to say that it, it's similar to, to charisma. You know, you just, as an actor, you're sort of thrown into things, and you don't know what it's going to end up being, and this turned out to be something way beyond um, but I loved, I loved Tara because she was shy. I really appreciated that about her. Because when I was a kid, I was really, really, really shy. Like, I was a kid hiding behind my mom's leg. And, and actually, theater and performing is what, what changed me. Because I realized I could put on that mask and I could just put myself out there. And it didn't matter. Like, if someone didn't like me or didn't like I was like, well, that's that character. Or that's, you know. You know. And, it, and it taught me how to, like, actually put myself out there into the world and to be extroverted. Because... Inside, I'm still very mushy and shy and nervous and terrified of rejection and how do I make myself smaller, you know? But you put on face and here we are. And you drink a lot of coffee too, that helps. <laughs> Thank you for your question. Hi. Hi, um, my name's Paige and I was wondering what the atmosphere was like working on the show, uh, Buffy, especially with you, Charisma, because you did Angel as well, kind of a transition over from Buffy. I'm happy to answer that for you, but one second. What is your dog's name? Brownie. <laughs> like, she's named after the shotgun. I got her when she was named like that. What's her name? Brownie. Brownie. And a German Shepherd. Yes, ma'am. Feeling a little anxious? 
but it was also a lot of love, and, and I, I have friends from, from that time in my life that have been with me for 20 plus years. So, um, but it was, it was crazy to be able to do all that, that neat special effects stuff, like floating roses, and all the crazy vampire effects. I've never been on a set like that before, where you did all that crazy stuff. It was really, really cool to be a part of that, to breathe in all the smoke that they would walk into the, st the stages, so it was always smoky, just like <sighs> <laughs> um, that's what I think of that $12 a day hazard pay. That was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> thank, thank you for you your question. so much. Thank you. Hi, how are you? Hi. How are you? I'm Shannon. I'm from Maryland. And I was wondering what your favorite funny memory of recording Buffy or Angel was. <laughs> If you would like to tell us your favorite part of like exploring DC, since you are a tour guide connoisseur. <laughs> did you read my post on Instagram? I did not. Well, I just went there, told you all about it. <laughs> At Charisma Carpenter. I, I took I took one of the photos. She did. <laughs> and you're in one. I'm in one of them. Uh, I don't, I don't, I'm terrible, I'm the worst person to ask these questions to because I know, like, I don't want to give the same answer, but I don't know, the funnest part, I, honestly, I don't know about a particularly funny time, I think it was fun to try to eat the grossest possible stuff before a kissing scene because we did, <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. Your job. There you go. Um, you know, saran wrapping toilet seats. <laughs> what? Yeah, I, Mickey. I would do that too, um, you know, and I don't know, just immature goofball stuff. When you say gross food with like garlic and tuna, and then you're like, oh no, on box and bagels with red onion and capers. Dude, that's even worse. Fish, I thought I'd yeah. onion, the works. I won, by the way. I'm a little competitive. No one ever plays jokes on me. I think it's because I'm too earnest looking. I'm like, oh, so ever so sweet. She no. doesn't understand. I didn't really get pranked, but I did the pranking. So you, I know you have a very imaginative side. <laughs> oh, I could totally come up with good ones, but I'm, I'm, I'm too nice. I like, I won't I'm learn. too nice. What am I? <laughs> Who knows if they make it, but um, 
and uh, and I'm writing something for Hallmark. And we just, uh, you know, we I wrote a pilot for my witches books that we went out with during the pandemic with Catherine Hardwick attached to direct. And sadly, it didn't get set up, but it was really fun to get to, you know, go through that process of pitching a, a whole TV show and all of it on Zoom. So, you know, I did it in my pajamas, but I put a jacket in, you know. <laughs> I, have a really, I have a really snazzy robe, and uh, it looks like I'm, like, very cool in this race, but it's, like, pajama robe, but it looks nice from the top of, so I wore that. A duster now. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was wearing my cool duster. My, 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 uh, my, auntie, my auntie Jean, who passed away a number of years ago, but it was hers, and so I like to wear it and think of her. And, do pitches for TV shows in it, because I'm sure she, from Huntsville, Alabama, by way of, like, war rides in England, really imagine that's what was going to happen to her road. Um, but, so, yeah, so I'm just, I'm writing. I am acting still, and I, yes, is today the second or the third? Today the third. So yesterday on PureFlix, um, the new show called Going Home talks about um, hospice care and, you know, transition and all that deep stuff. Um, I'd like to hope that this show is a turning of the times. Um, I'm very proud to have been a part of it because my friend Dan Merchant created it and sold it. Sold a show about dying people during the pandemic. I mean, wow, wow. Um, you can do it. <laughs> you, if he can do that, you can do it. So if you have any aspirations to do that, it's possible. Um, I've also co-created a couple of projects also um, that haven't gone the distance yet, but I'm in that process. Nice. I have an upcoming episode of Dynasty that should be fun. I think it airs July 8th on CW, um, I don't know, another step, just living the, oh, living the life. Thank living you for your life. question. We have time for one more, and I'll tell you, I do virtual cons, obviously, also because of the pandemic, and they were all in my pajamas, so this part was all dressed up, and the rest of me was not. Hi, question for you. Hi, my name is Alyssa. Um, I'm curious, given that uh, since Buffy went off the air, the public perception of Joss Whedon has uh, Ooh, No, no, we won't do that question. No, no let's, do you have another one? Oh, okay. Um, Not today. Uh, yeah, I was just going to ask how I can be a, a fan anyway, but if that's... Something I'm not supposed to ask about. I, will I think it's a t it's a tough one to tackle, and I I appreciate the as someone who has um, followed his career and who has uh, liked his work. Um, it's something that I just want to be mindful of, uh, and I, I do appreciate what you're saying, right? It's trying to unpack the difference uh, between. I, yeah, I will just say that like Buffy was created by a ton of people. You know, um, it is a show that transcends all of that stuff, and I think being a fan of the show is not a just not doing a disservice to, to feminism or Me Too or any of that stuff. Um, I think the show is its own thing, and to love the show is a wonderful thing. And I know Charisma and I both feel like you guys, and you're in our lives because of the show, and that's what's really important. And people have found friend groups, and people got married and have kids, because of Buffy, you know, Buffy is a beautiful, wonderful thing, and nothing can touch that. Yeah. That's right. And here we are 25 years later, 
together as part of the Buffy family. Because, like, I don't know how it happened. How is that possible? It feels like because it was, it brought some magic. Like you said, you took the job at the time, and here we are all these years later. We are so grateful for your time coming out to this con, touring the city, posting about it on Instagram. Thank you for your photography assist on that. Glad you're in one of the photos. Please, everyone, let's give it up for Amber Benson and Charisma Carpenter. Thank you, both of you guys, so much. Thank you, everybody who works behind the scenes on it. Yeah, that was a fun, as you could hear, the entire room there at the end with that question about Josh Whedon, really. Uh, it, it's funny because being in that room the whole time, I can tell you there was a lot of love in that room. There was a lot of, like, it was a really fun panel. Uh, and there was, But there was just kind of this atmosphere in the room of who's going to pop, who's going to take the needle and burst this bubble, who's going to ask the question. So it was interesting that about 45 minutes later, the question was finally brought up. But eventually it happened and, and you could hear the reaction of the room because the tension was there. Like you could you could feel the room was kind of in that like, oh, man, we're so excited to be here for the Buffy reunion. Yeah. Charisma Carpenter, Amber Benson. Woo. And as you can hear, the lot of representation in that room, a lot of a lot of love being being shown. But you knew at some point Joss was going to come up and. It came up at the end, and I think that all three of them handled it really well. And and I think that's a great way to look at it, and in a way that I've looked at a lot of things, where when you come to find out that somebody who's created things that you love isn't the person you thought and isn't something you agree with, you cannot discredit still the work because, as was mentioned by Amber Benson, there were a lot of people that made Buffy happen. It wasn't just one person. There were a lot of other people, and when we focus in on one person, it takes away the hard work of the hundreds of other people that made that thing possible. So uh, that was a fun time. Uh, but now let's get into the next next main stage speaker. This was a really exciting one. I do apologize. I feel like the audio for this one is a little bit rougher than the uh, Buffy one, but but you still can hear everything that's going on. And it's uh, say hey to Haley Atwell. So here's Haley Atwell, Peggy Carter, Agent Carter's, panel from Awesome Con. It is time to get this party started. You know what makes me happy is seeing you guys lined up getting ready to get your questions answered because we are here for you as part of the fan experience. So without further ado, let me welcome to the stage right now, Miss Haley Atwell. Bring it down! Intimacy 
only right that with all the value, the value system that Peggy Carter had, that that would be extended into pride. Um, so I'm very, very proud of myself to make sure that Peggy is an advocate of that too. Thank you. Do you, do you mind 
thought, I'm an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. He was, he was felt that, like he was betraying me somehow. And I was like, just don't have as much fun there as you did with Agent Carter. Just remember where your loyalty lies. Uh, but he loved it. And I, I'm yet to see it. I think maybe the fact I haven't seen it also suggests I'm kind of nervous that she does a better impression of me than I can do of me. And then I'll, it will blow my mind. Well, she didn't exactly try to mimic you, but it was rather funny watching this character who knew the real Peggy Carter go, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Hi, question to you over here. Hi, Haley. I'm Laura from Washington, D.C. Hi, you look amazing. Thank you. Um, my question is, uh, what would your dream premise for a Agent Carter season three be, assuming that Endgame is canon? Assuming Endgame is canon, okay. Um, well, in my mind, uh, Steve's tired. And he wants to sit down. And he's, he's had quite a lot of time to gather a fantastic book of recipes. Fantastic. Because Peggy's busy. She's not been waiting for him. She's been busy. And she's got things to do. So... Are you running away from a bed all the time? Like it's, what he's running from and what 
he's running to. I've never seen anything like it. It's that in, in life, it's just this surge of energy. So I was having to train to make sure I had some depth and kind of catch up with him. Um, what I can say about her is that uh, her name is Grace. That's out there. Um, she's a joy to play. She's mischievous and she's playful and she holds her own with him. And there's an element of um, kind of a comic element to it, which is great, which we haven't seen as much of in Mission before. There's just a different, it has a different tone to it. And in terms of stunts, I learned how to drift in the race car. Uh, you. Um, <laughs> no, so every time my friend gets into the car now and I give him the lift, they're like, oh, please, no. <laughs> we just got you around the corner, please, abide by the You're like, we are. But yeah, yes, yes, we are. Swinging out the back of the car there. Um, and the, the other things I was, I think, the back flipped over a bridge, jumped off uh, backwards off a moving train. Um, a lot of running uphill in high heels while handcuffed to Mr. Cruz. Um, that's all I will say. Um, but it's what he, his dedication to creating these extraordinary spectacles for the audience. It's entirely for you guys. His um, determination to not stop until it's absolutely pitch perfect so that you guys come away from it feeling totally exhilarated by it. It's, it's an amazing to see that every single day. He shows up. And it was a great learning experience for me of um, the generosity of spirit that he carries onto a set and that he has time for his fans, and he really does. And I find that very, very moving and humbling to watch. And um, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm learning from the great man himself. I'm like a, 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 a Bambi. <laughs> but you're in for a treat. It's, it's, we've got about a year to go, and the reason for that is the film's got to be perfect. And we won't release it until it's ready. And it will be worth it, so you will enjoy it. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm Carolyn. I'm from Winchester, Virginia. And um, I am a big Marvel fan, but I'm also a big fan of Black Mirror. And um, what was something that you took away from your experience in Black Mirror that you used in projects afterwards? Oh, um, thank you for saying that. I loved the, I loved Black Mirror. When I, I was a fan of the first series, and... Um, I, I went to school with drama school with Jodie Whittaker, the Doctor Who, who was also in that first series. Yeah, and I remember watching it going, Jodie, this is, it's, this is amazing. It's literally the beginning of Black Mirror. This wasn't the high production value that it became in this incredible world. This was very, very simple ideas um, that felt like a very intelligent social commentary of our time. And I called them up. Myself, I went, can I be in? I'll be anything, I'll be in the background, just please. I really want to be in one of your shows. And Charlie Brooker said, Okay, well, how about this script? And sent me, Be Right Back. And I, I uh, got goosebumps when I read the script. And um, I thought it was such a beautiful, intimate portrait on grief that, aside from the sci fi elements or the futuristic elements of it, that it was ultimately about um, that, that very complicated line of when and how do you let go and how do you do that in every day and but how do you still keep the memory of that person alive and keep them close to you in your heart and she's battling that and I think it just sort of that I think that job really taught me how to trust my own instincts because it was very internal and very emotional um, but I also knew that the script of the story was so strong that if I just let go and trusted myself then that the story would tell itself so I think that's probably why I took from it. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
Thank you so much. Great question. Thank you. Hi, how are you? Hi, I am Margarita from Alexandria. And my question is, you got the chance to play Peggy Carter in both live action and animation. Yeah. How was it different translating the character that you're more familiar with to the medium of animation? I will sum that up in one word. Sweatpants. <laughs> to go into a booth <laughs> with no makeup on in his web hat and sound like I was moving, but I wasn't. I was stationary. And actually, there was a couple of moments when I was recording that during lockdown in my living room. And I was, <laughs> had no sort of proper sound proof errors. So there was a cupboard involved, various items of clothing over, over my head. And I was just kind of like doing this. It's just like in this dark thing. I was like, oh, oh, pow, oh, this is so fun. And making all these like action sounds. And I also remember at one point the sound engineer just went, sorry, sorry, hey, hey, can you, sorry, can you stop. Um, is, that, is that a dog snoring? <laughs> They'll scratch on the door because they won't come in. They are in the room with me. They're going to be snoring. It's a YouTube's. What is it? <laughs> so that was sort of my takeaway experience. It was very guerrilla style, I feel, recording that. Um, and it, the, the, the making of it ad was much funnier than, <laughs> than it needed to be and should have been. But we finally got there eventually. And uh, it's just so fun. It's really. Um, and also, I wasn't watching the animation, so I had to trust that they would be able to match what I was doing to the physicality of what they'd already created or they were going on to create. So that was like a, a real trust of knowing that the artists knew what they were doing, you know. So it was, it was, it was wild. Like, it's surreal. Being an actor's weird. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Margarita, for the question. Uh, what time are dogs? French bulldogs. They really smart. Oh, you're here in the hat through the doors. Oh, through the, oh yeah, actually, uh, Iris and Wolfie the next door. I can hear Iris downstairs, two flights of stairs in the kitchen, snoring. It's like a, it's like a house breeds with them. <laughs> Hi, how are you? What's your name? Hi, my name's Ian. I'm from Northampton. Um, so I wanted to ask about your podcast, True Spies. Now on Stitcher. My agent. So is there a story from the podcast that you would, in a perfect world, would uh, like to see adapted into a feature film or um, a series on Disney Plus or anything like that? Oh. Would you want to be involved as director, performer, producer? Well, that's a great question. Um, I think uh, there there's so many of them, but there's one thing that um, I was reading a book at the time, so I suddenly got into the sort of spies, that world a little bit more, true stories. And um, there was one that they haven't done, um, which is the story of Amaryllis Fox, who was a former spy. She's, she's around now, she's retired, um, and she had the most extraordinary life, and she talks about li living a double life, having to pretend she was married to someone, knowing that. Um, but she describes things about how to, um, how to kind of remove any trace that she's been there, or how to check the cameras in hotel rooms. I mean, it was getting sort of excited, it's like the paranoid, so I'd go into like a hotel room and I'd like, check behind the mirrors, check behind the toilet, and just thinking I was kind of smart. Um, and she, she also talked about what she felt when she was pregnant, and she was also 
Um, she was working with the Taliban, and she was working diplomatically to, um, in peace talks with the Taliban. And she's a very beautiful white woman, pregnant, and thinking about the, in an environment like that, the kind of resolve and the kind of diplomacy and the kind of um, respect she had to have and learn about other people's language and their ways in order to create some sort of progressive and positive movement that saved people's lives, while she was also very aware of the danger she was in and she was pregnant. Um, it's, for me, just a remarkable example of uh, the, the strength that, that it takes sometimes to be a woman in the world and also the needs of, of you know, looking after your own child. Anyway, long, long story short, I think that would make a great film. I think actually though, Brie Larson might already be playing her, which is another Marvel lady, so that's all fine. Um, but is there any episode in particular that you liked that you think would make a good movie? <laughs> Thank you for your question. Thank you very much. Thank you. Hi. 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 Uh, my name is Allison. I'm from St. Louis. Um, and uh, yeah, I met you when you were there like a while ago. I was, it, it was a long time ago. Um, but uh, so someone actually asked my question. It was about Agents of Shield. So uh, I was wondering, uh, in your lip sync battle with Agents of Shield. Um, <laughs> If, uh, if that were still, you know, continuing, what song that's, that's come out since then would you want to, would you want to lip sync to, to battle them now? Oh, that's a really good question. I really want to stay with modern music. <laughs> <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't have to be a new one, just maybe one that you didn't use. I think, I think probably like, um, because Tom Cruise's film soundtracks are so brilliant and epic and funny, I think we could do like a, a Tom Cruise kind of, um, homage, but uh, would involve that also because so many of his, his films are so exciting and intense and adrenalized, it would mean we have to really up our game. We have to be jumping off buildings <laughs> and you know, um, just heavily disguised and sort of. I think you, you, the overlaps of and going back to work would have to go that much further, and we'd have to start really putting our life on the line. <laughs> so it's just, just as well we've all moved on. Hi, come on up. Hi. Hi. Hi, my name is Dan. I'm from Leesburg, Virginia. And my question is um, when you were filming Captain America the First Avenger, is there a particular scene or, or even an offset moment that added really special to you that really made you feel like, wow, I'm now part of the Marvel Universe? Oh, that's, a, that's such a great question. It makes me feel nostalgic for that time because it was so such a magical time. There's a couple. One of them is the man boob grab. <laughs> <laughs> that was for you guys to enjoy. <laughs> because I, I didn't, you know, it, it, was, it, it was such a sort of tightly run shift and everything is going to be by the book. Marvel know exactly what they're doing and you, as an actor, turn up and you want to do the best version. But I was also trying to make it my own. And so when he comes out of the pod and it was in the script, something like, you know, Peggy goes up to him to make sure he's okay. And you can't see that body come out of that person. <laughs> and, and not feel that in order to find out if that person's okay. But you know what? Times have changed. I would probably now ask for consent. <laughs> Kind of made it sort of really awkward and a bit weird in a way that I really 
really relate to. Um, so that was a particular moment. And then I think, I remember when we did the final, um, just that final scene where she's saying goodbye to him when he's going down. And um, I remember the director, we, we were doing the scene, but it was, it was sort of kind of a long day, and I was struggling to find emotionally connected to it. So uh, Chris was behind the set, reading the lines to me. So he, and I, I knew he was like sitting on a box in his trousers. So I'm like, okay, Peggy, where are we gonna dance? I can have here over there, and I'm having to just do my, my scene. I couldn't quite engage with it, and then the director, Joe Johnson, said, can I show you something? And he took me into his trailer, and he showed me my audition. And he said, this bit is what got you the part. And when you did it, everyone around you was, was crying. Um, and I watched it. It was very weird to see yourself being in such a vulnerable situation and express that in front of people. But I remember sort of watching it and thought, oh, um, as strong as she is, and as strong as we are, we kind of have to be to navigate the world. Those moments when we are able to be vulnerable and to express our emotions and our sense of sadness or loss when something sad happens, um, we feel closer to each other. And I felt that that was a moment where Peggy didn't just have to be this strong character, that you can see her vulnerabilities and that makes her much more relatable and human. So that was just more of a poignant moment. And then there'll be Martinis with Stanley Tucci in his trailer. <laughs>
Um, I heard you were named after Haley Mills, and I was wondering whether you ever met Haley Mills, and whether you've ever met um, any young girls who were named after you. Oh, that's a great question. Yes. So, Haley Mills, for those of you who don't know, is a Disney child actress. She's in films like The Original Parent Trap, and seeing some of the modern heads good. She's such a, a legendary uh, child actor. And I was caught up on Whistle Down the Wind and Tiger Bay and um, Summer Magic. And my mum only ever had one name in mind. Thank goodness I was a girl. I mean, if I was a boy, she would have called me Haley anyway. <laughs> but when I was 11, she was doing a play, uh, an old coward play with her sister Juliette Lawrence in a small regional theatre outside of London called Fallen Angels. And mum took me to see her. And one thing my mum would always do when she took me to see a play is that we'd go backstage and we'd meet the actors and, and to thank them, because if they had done something that had moved us in some way, it felt only right that we would engage with them and, and just mark that occasion by just saying, thank you for, for this, this is what I liked about what you did. Um, so we went to meet her, and I remember because I was 11, and sort of doing that, and she had this extraordinary, she looked like a lioness. She had this extraordinary, fluffy, and um, I remember when my mum said, Hayley, this is my daughter, Hayley, I named her after you. And she went, oh! <laughs> and she was, she was so um, moved by that. And I always remember, she made me feel so seen. And um, she was so warm. And I thought, I'll, I'll, I'm going to remember this moment forever. I, I remember what that felt like. And it inspired me to also want to be an actor. And... Um, and then later on, now, so Simon Pegg, who's in the Mission Impossible franchise, he's very close to um, Haley's son. So I said to Simon, while I'm, you know, saying hi to And um, she had this book coming out, Memoir of Her Life, and I uh, mentioned it on my Instagram, and then she sent me a message, and it, it was the, the full circle feeling of having, partly because she was so kind to me and inspired me to keep going and wanting to be an actor myself. And here I am as an actor, celebrating her work as another actor and her responding to me. It was just this very beautiful, surreal moment. Um, so yeah, she's, she's an, you know, an incredibly elegant and intelligent woman who I, I greatly admire. Um, and I'm just thinking, you know, I've met people who call their children Peggy and their sons Carter. <laughs> Which is amazing to me. It's 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 incredible to see a character who again had gentleman asked me earlier if had any idea of the impact it would have and of course you don't because you only get in the moment to respond to what's right in front of you. So to years later people go, This is Peggy or this is this is Carter, thinking, you know, you you guys have taken her into your hearts based on a, something in her that you see that relates to who you are and um, and I always remember thinking I want every person that I meet who's in some way, I think, called Peggy or Carter or Hayley, to feel the way Hayley Mills made me feel when I was so young. And I'll, I'll never forget that. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lovely thing. Great, thank you. <laughs> thank you. This is our opportunity to thank you for something that you brought to the screen and we felt our experience. So it's interesting to me to see this all come full circle, right? We're here. Dr. Who, and it sounded like you were familiar with it, so I wanted to 
that ask, who is your favorite regeneration of the doctor? So just being able to 
uh, assert oneself a little bit more confidently because you have, you're armed with some facts about the business. Um, and what I will say is the, the support and the um, kindness I've had from these core people at Marvel, who I think are just such wonderful people, who have really championed that voice. I never felt like I was, um, you know, I wasn't allowed to speak up. And even if I, did, if I felt I was allowed to speak up, I was going to speak up anyway, because I kind of value. But um, <laughs> it was, I think it's that really. It's also, and so I would say, passing that on of going, when we start off in any kind of chosen career, we are one way and we have so much to learn, but there has to come a time where we start to go, I know who I am, I know what I'm doing, I know what I'm capable of, I know what my job is, and I know when it's time to ask for more, and when I know there is time, there's certain behaviours that are no longer appropriate. And being able to have that confidence to start to change the climate around us so we get to tell people how to treat us. That's the main And she's actually finally given 
the ability, the resources, the platform, the power to reach our full potential. And I find that much more interesting. I think that because that's where we should be going as, as women, is going for what I can't imagine what my life could be like or look like if I was able to have the kind of agency that some of my male colleagues have. I don't know what that looks like, so I don't have a blueprint for it necessarily. But to think that that might be a possibility in this world, then it, then it's limitless, and then it's very uplifting and inspiring. And and also having said that, I don't think if she was to given that position of power, say in light action, she would lose her dignity, her grace, her kindness. I think there are innate inherent qualities that she has. It's very much tied into knowing her value. But I think she would just do more. She would just do more and have a better time and get paid better. <laughs> Oh, well, it's, 
Uh, so if he wants to um, do that part again, then I, I, he already knows the lines. So that's <laughs> <laughs> love for him. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. We have time for one more question. I'll take your question. No problem. <laughs> uh, hi, my name is Kalani. I'm originally from Hawaii. Um, I love that Peggy's line has come up so many times during this panel, and I really love that second part where you realize that um, her empowerment is self-driven largely based on everything else happening around her. Um, but I was wondering if in all the work you've done, what was the first role that made you feel empowered? Good question. Um, I think there was, you know, in every job there were moments based on probably finding something that worked, uh, or having a, a rapport with a director or an actor that were like, oh, all of a sense of going, I, I think I can do this. Um, but like, it, it takes a long time for that to be the general overall experience, you know. It takes, it's like moments of empowerment, and then like, oh. and then moments of empowerment, and then moments of empowerment, and then moments of empowerment, oh, look, oh, this, this smells amazing, how do we all maintain this? Um, and then just go back home again. And so it takes a long time for that, that, that feeling to be the new normal, you know, like anything. It, that takes conscious practice of it, for me to feel having a healthy level of self-esteem, I have to do esteemable acts. I have to do actions that give me back a sense of esteem. Um, and so when I started to work on my, what is my, regardless of the outcome, what is my work ethic? And how do I develop that so it becomes consistent? So if I'm doing an audiobook or a voiceover or a, for a commercial or a uh, franchise film or a play, the approach and the intention is exactly the same. I am there to serve a story in hope that it will land in a particular way for an audience. Um, that's the thing that comes foremost. And then the other one is, I'm part of a group of people that are all working towards a common goal. So making them feel respected, seen, and that can be shown by being punctual, being polite, um, saying sorry if you're really grumpy one morning and then the person to personally, like, saying sorry is a very powerful tool as well. Um, that overall then gave me a sense that regardless of how I felt about the performance or the final product, I was caring about how I behaved, and that was giving me a consistent sense of self in the workspace. And I would say that that transcends the form of whatever the job is, or however so-called successful, big, or independent, whatever whatever it is that which is not in my control. But what is in my control is how I choose to face the day. Um, and that, that's empowering. Thank you so much. Just a, a, a fun, a fun panel to be a part of to hear those questions. Everybody had some great questions. Uh, I do love the fact that we're how many weeks removed from Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness coming out. I mean, hell, uh, not only have myself review it, Rob, Zach, all done a review, but we even had Tombstone Josh, and we did a giant spoiler review of it. So you know, like it's really crazy to think that we're that far removed and people sitting in a Haley Atwell MCU panel would not have seen that movie but you know it is what it is when you go to these events there are spoilers that you can expect for certain things now I will say when we get to day three 
uh, in three weeks because uh, we're, we're, we just do not have the time to bring you all of day two and then all of day three. But when we get to day three uh, and some of the panels that went on there, the Giancarlo Esposito one did a wonderful job because the boys debuted this past weekend and everybody that was there was very tiptoe around the fact of we ain't had time to watch the season debut of season three for the boys like we don't want to let's let's avoid the spoilers for that so i will say that there are no there's not a lot of conversation about the boys in his panel from day three uh the sunday stuff the sunday main stage but there is some boys conversation uh but they we do a really good job because again that's a room that you're like yeah we the majority of us in here have not seen it because we've been here since Friday, so we haven't had a chance to sit down and enjoy it. Because these cons, listen, day one, you might be like, wow, you only went to two of the main stages, and I did miss Kel Mitchell, who was later in the day. But uh, as as I'll talk more when we get into the day two stuff, being at a Comic-Con, being at Awesome Con, being at any Comic-Con, really, you lose track of the day. and You lose track of how long it's been since you've eaten, how tired you actually are. So waking up, DC is not that far away from me. It's not even really, it's it's barely a two hour drive uh, with traffic. So it's close enough that it's not a bad trip. But when you wake up, you make that trip and then you've been at this event one to about five o'clock and, and the Kel Mitchell one isn't for like another hour and a half. And you're like, you know, I kind of need to go get something to eat. I got to, you know, I got to get out of here. I got to. So I, I went to go get something to eat instead uh, actually didn't even eat. God, I made I made my fiance so disappointed when she was like, where'd you go for dinner? And I'm like, well, I went to Yard House. Yeah, because there was a Yard House not even around the corner from where I was staying. I will say, though, I did go to other bars. It wasn't just Yard House. I ate at Yard House, but I hit up uh, a few bars that are directly across the, st- uh, the street from Capital One Arena, again, where the Washington Capitals play hockey and the NBA's Washington Wizards uh, play basketball, as well as plenty of concerts and wrestling and all that stuff. I mean, I saw Capital Punishment from the WWE, uh, a pay-per-view that they did uh, years ago, what, 2013 or whatever, 2012 in D.C.? Yeah, I saw it there at Capital One Arena. So I went to a few bars that were across the street from there, which those are fun because those places, those are the places that are like, here's a daily happy hour. From the time we open to 8 o'clock at night. Have fun. Uh, so yeah, you know, uh, but I did eat at Yard House and that that made my fiance and a few other people that I told, hey, I'm in D.C. Uh, and I'm eating at Yard House. A margarita pizza with an IPA, Lagunitas, was, man, you really couldn't find a D.C. local place to eat at. Uh, but I did the next day. I ate at the hotel. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the other thing. I only ate once every single day. So that's what I mean by I ended up missing the Kel Mitchell panel uh, on night one. But it was worth it because I had not eaten anything since I left early in the morning to get to D.C. to check into my hotel. So uh, that was day one. Again, a really fun day at Awesome Con. Next week, going to bring you day two, the Saturday stuff where, oh, my God, you're going to want to stick around for that. I got to double check the audio because I had a bit of an issue uh, starting the morning off. I, I I left my MP3 recorder in my room 
So I had to record the first panel of day two on my phone. So I got to really go through that and make sure that that is something I can bring back uh, and play for you. But there was the spotlight on Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, uh, where where the cast of that showed up, uh, Samu Lee, uh, Florian, uh, Menger Zhang, uh, they were all there. So you had, you had Shang-Chi, his sister, uh, and villain slash hero, uh, Anthony Daniels was there for day two. Uh, the Sabrina the Teenage Witch Cash reunion happened in day two. So a lot to get to uh, next week when we return with more Awesome Con 2022 coverage. Thank you all for hanging out. Uh, don't forget you can like and subscribe to this show wherever it is you are listening right now. But also go and like the Throw Me Podcast Network Facebook page. Go ahead and listen to this past week of Haunter's podcast. I'm not on it. But review it, Rob takes my place and I think has officially replaced me because that's how good the episode was. Uh, Tombstone Josh, he's back as well. He's got the metal groove from this past week out. Zach Speakeasy is up tomorrow. And of course, uh, you can't forget Review It Rob Show. He's got you covered with all the things happening in the entertainment headlines from this past week because I didn't have many headlines for you. I had a lot of awesome con coverage for you. So hopefully you enjoyed those panels. Uh, And again, if you go and you like the Throw Me Podcast Network Facebook page, you subscribe on YouTube, uh, you will be up to date on everything and all the shows that we present to you. Also, the Patreon stuff this weekend. uh, Got Zach and Rob, and I believe Josh is going to be there as well. Uh, But they will go back. They're going to start revisiting all the Marvel Cinematic Universe films, beginning with Iron Man. So you definitely want to be a part of the Throw Me Podcast Patreon if you haven't done it yet. But you can always, again, stay up to date on everything by just going and liking our stuff by searching Throw Me Podcast Network Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. Until next time, peace and love.